Hey everyone, and welcome to Jerry Talk, a podcast for modern caregivers juggling work, home, family, kids, and finances, all while caring for an aging parent or loved one. I'm your host, Kelly Adams, a certified senior advisor and founder and CEO of Beyond Home Care. You know, we understand how overwhelming and stressful life can be, especially when caregiving is involved. So Jerry Talk is here to provide you with resources, tools, and support to help you not only survive this season of caregiving, but to thrive in it. Today on the podcast, we're going to dive a little deeper into that Medicaid preparing, um, especially for the nursing home. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked with Greg Varner, and he vaguely mentioned how Medicaid planning in and of itself is a topic um, that could take an entire episode. And I thought, you know, who better to really talk to us about the Medicaid side than a billing professional in the nursing home? So I'm joined today by Tammy Bruce, who is a member of the staff at Crown Healthcare, Brown's Nursing and Rehab here in the Tallapoosa County area. Tammy has actually had over seven years experience in the billing department of the nursing home. But then before that, she really came from the world of banking and understands from that side even what Medicaid is looking for. So this can be a really confusing topic. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions that come with Medicaid in the nursing home. And so I really just wanted Tammy to explain to us a little bit more in detail what is, what's the process? What's the planning that needs to go into it? What does and does not count as part of that spin down for Medicaid? And so this may be an episode that you really need to stop and listen to a few times. And even if you're not in the state of Alabama, I think that some of the preparedness parts of this episode will really help you. And so anyway, we're just going to jump right into that conversation here with Tammy. I come from originally from 23 years of banking and with accounting and customer service and all that kind of stuff. And my banking experience it really has helped a little bit in being able to guide and know because when I worked at the at the bank, uh, I did a little bit of the bank side for Medicaid. I sent in the um, information to them that they requested because most people don't understand that uh, once they report the information that they have bank accounts, whatever bank they bank with, they also Medicaid also reaches out to the bank themselves to make sure the information corresponds with what's been given. Oh, that's so I, interesting. So I, I kind of already knew a little bit about that side of it. So I kind of knew what they were looking for. So at Browns, do you do all of the billing or just the Medicaid billing? I do all of the billing. Uh, I do their um, do the HMO billings, which okay. is like Humana, United Healthcare. I do the Medicare billings. I do the Medicaid billings. Okay. So let's just start from the beginning. So when if somebody is looking into an option to to go into a nursing home, what are their what are their options for paying for that? Their most options are private pay or Medicaid pending. It's some very few have long-term care policies that pay mm-hmm. so much per day, not many because most of those policies are quite expensive unless they bought those at a really young age. And most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, the, the rates on those go up. So most people wind up, you know, canceling those policies. You know, a lot of times they come in Medicaid pending, but I only, they go, they'll say, I only have this amount. So we work with that to know where they're staying, you know, 
when's the appropriate time to file for Medicaid for them and help guide them into the proper placement, getting them ready for that Medicaid application so their spin down is done correctly, not just haphazardly, you know, Mm -hmm. so so there, there are ways, you know, that in the past, because Medicaid does look back for exactly 60 months from the time you file an application. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't understand what the eligibility requirements are for mm-hmm. Medicaid. So let's start there. Okay. Sounds great. The, if you are a single uh, person, whether that be you've never been married or if you're widowed, your asset amount, your liquid asset amount, they can, you can only have $2,000 for on the first day of the month that, that you apply for Medicaid. If you are a married person that has a spouse still in the community, you're allowed between the couple to have $27,000. Mm. The person in the community that, that's staying in the community gets to keep 25000 The person in the nursing home can only still have 2000 Okay, but if there is a limit, also if they have twenty four thousand dollars and they're married, that's fine. But if they were to have, let's say, if they're a married couple, the protected amount for the spouse is one hundred and twenty eight thousand. So what does that mean, the protected amount? So the protected amount means, just say a married couple, let's just say they have in their resource amount, and that would be within checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs, IRAs, 401ks. They're allowed to keep $128,640, and that was the amount for the 2020 rate that Medicaid is set. Let's say they have 250000 okay? Their spouse comes in as a private pay until that spin down is met because they say 250000 okay? That's $125,000 a piece that they have, mm-hmm. okay? So the spouse that stay in the community is going to be able to keep the 128 or basically 125 because they divided in half on the Mm. first day of the month. So the person that's coming into the facility has to spend down the $123,000 and their private pay until that amount's done. And that private pay can be done with their monthly billing through, you know, the facility. Mm-hmm. They they can also go, if they haven't already made funeral arrangements, they can go to the funeral home and make a burial arrangements and do a pre-need contract. Mm. And so that can be a legitimate spin down. Okay. So what is, when we talk about the spin down, what, mm-hmm. is there a good rule of thumb for what is included and what is not? Yes. The spin down itself, it has to be spent on the resident okay. themselves. Yeah, um, and it has to be within reason. You know, most people choose if they're doing a spin down. The first thing that can can do is go to the funeral home and do a mm-hmm. prenatal. Um, or you know, if they're coming in and they can use, you know, they can spin down by buying a television for their room. You know, some necessities that they need. As long as that those funds are used specifically for that resident. If it can go down to buying clothes, shoes, underwear, you know, just any personal items that that person may need. I think a lot of times 
I hear people talk about transferring funds to a daughter or, and mm-hmm. that is a not that those transfers are not eligible in the spend down period. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Because they Medicaid sees that as, Hey, I'm giving money to what money away. So I can be Medicaid mm-hmm. eligible instead of paying that money toward their nursing home bill they're going they're just going oh they're giving it away so medicaid can step in and start paying you know even if they've given money away like in four years let's say they had you know some money that they wanted to give their children divided up between Mm -hmm. their children if even if they give them five thousand dollars a piece within that five-year look back they look at that as hey they gave that money away so they can be medicaid eligible those children need to give that money back and, and then mama or daddy is now private pay because they've given that money away. So if if they do give that $5,000 to the kids, let's hope the kids haven't used that money. They still have it set away, set aside for mama and daddy because Medicaid's going to say, hey, you got to give that money back. If they don't give the money back, Mom and daddy's penalized for that, and they're still private pay with no funds to be able to pay that private pay rate because the money's not there. I think that is something that people don't realize mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily that Medicaid, from the day you put that application in, that that's when you need to spend down correctly. Yeah. But if, if in a five-year period, mm-hmm. 60 months, then you are going to perhaps be in a nursing home mm-hmm. and you did not spend your money correctly, I think that's the part people don't realize. And that's what I run into a lot with mm-hmm. home care. Um, somebody is paying a sitter under the table. Right. And they can't they can't show that. And right. then they have no money. Left. Yes. Yeah. And if they use sitters, and if they, my advice to them, because some of them do come in. For and sure. I do have a lot of phone calls that ask, hey, what do I do? Because I know in a couple of years, mom and daddy, mom or daddy's not going to be able to stay at home. Right. Dinner. They're going to need 24-hour care. So, you know, my advice to them is you keep a check receipt book. Yes. You, you fill it out. You tell them, you know, how much you're paying them per day or per week or per month. And you give a receipt every time you pay. So that, yeah. that way you've got documentation of what you did with that money. It's just not like, oh, I just gave them this amount or I just gave them that amount. You've got to prove you gave them a consistent amount either by hour or by day or week or a month. You know, and because they're going to ask, what happened to this money? Why were you paying Sally Smith $200 every week? Right, you know? right. So, yeah, yeah, and on on the home care side, we do that mm-hmm. for our clients. And we keep those records and we pay mm-hmm. our employees the taxes. Mm-hmm. And, and right. that is, I think that's the other part of it. When you start to use your checkbook and keep record of it, you will have to pay taxes on it. And you will have right. to, you know. Do it very legally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but exactly. you have to you have to understand that even though it may look like you're going to save money on the front end, you're going to get down the road and then it's going to be a mess. And Medicaid, mm-hmm. they dig. I mean, they really look through, right? They, they look through. They look through it. Every transaction they look at, if it's a pattern, they're going to question it. Mm-hmm. 
I've even had, you know, like $10 here and there questioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just been little things, but we've, you know, that we've needed to go back and be able to prove to Medicaid that we were taking care of that client. And we're talking less than a thousand dollars. Uh-huh. Exactly. I mean, they'll go like, uh, I've got, I'll just use, for instance, I'm working on one now, uh, the application, they've got their return letter back, you know, in the process, they have a whole list of check amounts, dates, and deposits. Where did this money come from? And tell me what these checks were for. Provide receipts, you know, or statements or something to show us what you did with this money. Mm. You know, and sometimes, and and this has happened, and it happens more than we like for it to see. And I know you've seen it as well. You know, el- you know, our elders sometimes are taken advantage of, right? Um, you know, and they're go, oh, okay, I'll send you that check. Mm-hmm. And once the family steps in and realizes, hey, Mama gave somebody money and we don't know why it's fraudulent well my suggestion always always is please go to the police department file a report you know because you Mm -hmm. need documentation of hey mother gave this away and did not realize what she was doing it was a fraud you know from the get-go and you can track it trace it back and say hey mom was taken advantage of right and you you know and medicaid will take that into um aspect and look at that going okay they really didn't give this money away because they went and filed an actual police report Mm -hmm. you know it it's sad to say but it does happen and then you have these instances where even family members are taking Mm -hmm. uh, taking advantage of their loved ones and you know and it's hard for them to understand that, hey, you need to give all that money back. Right. You know, but then at that point, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. mother and daddy or mother or daddy here and you've got this big bill and you have no way to pay it because you've abused their money. Right. Yeah. So is this for just the state of Alabama? Do all states have the same kind of system or is this, are we talking Alabama Medicaid? This is strictly Alabama Medicaid. I'm from... I think each region has a different set of rules, different things that they look at, because if we have someone transfer to us from another state, uh, we do have to do, and they already Medicaid approved in that state, we still have to do a Medicaid application for the state of Alabama. Wow. Mm -hmm. And how long does a typical Medicaid application take? From the time a person becomes Medicaid eligible and they have admitted to the facility, they have 30 days before Medicaid will uh, accept the application and start reviewing it. Okay. So so the rule of thumb, you come in, you know, you, you come in like if you know you're Medicaid eligible at that time, we bring you in as what's called Medicaid pending mm-hmm. and uh, in the aspects of hoping that your Medicaid application gets approved. But you have to wait 30 days before we can actually file that application for you. And once we do that and you have a review, it usually takes about two, two weeks before them to send you a letter back asking for additional information. And you have to do a telephone interview with them. Mm-hmm. And usually after that, they give you so many days to rebuttal to, to send them the information they've requested, usually it's 20 days. Uh, after that, it could take them up to 45 days if they don't request any more information after that. So you're looking at a good three months. 
Wow, that's a lengthy process. It is. And it's very rare that somebody's will come back really quick. And Mm -hmm. I've I've had one come back in a week. I've had one come back in a month. And I've had one come back. It takes three, four, five months. to. It just depends on how complicated your case is. Right. You know, if if you have assets, it takes a little bit longer. Especially if you've had to go through a spin down. Because they've got more to look at. You know, I have people that come in and go, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. And I said, you know, that's to your advantage at this point in the game, (laughs) you know? So we, you know, there's always, there's a positive outlook on different situations, just whatever they're in. We try to work with them and see what we can do. So for our family caregivers who are listening, who are thinking, wow, in the next few years, this is something that we're going to need to look at. Mm -hmm. What can we do before we get to that point? What What are some good practices for us to have? The best thing I can tell you is keep records. Make sure you keep all your bank statements. Keep receipts of large ticket items that you've purchased mm-hmm. for that loved one. Uh, do not transfer any money. But if you have CDs and IRAs and 401ks, the best thing is when you cash those in, cash those in and put them as a one deposit into that account keep a record of and actually if keep copies of those uh, closed cds and IRAs Mm. because they look back at those in those five years as well because if you have a cd you've cashed in because mom and daddy has run out of money in their checking account you want to cash this cd in for its face value or its value and put it straight into their their account and and begin their spend down on that. Mm. But you would want proper documentation. You know, just keep up with their spending, keep up with their bank statements, keep up with their income. Income is a big player in the factor as well. Because with their income, Medicaid for the 2020 year for an individual, their income limit is $2,349 for an individual. Then that's not saying that if they make more than that, they can't become Medicaid eligible. There is a way to get that income within the Medicaid limit. Hmm. There is what there's called a QIT account that most banks will set up for you, and it's a qualifying income trust account. If you receive two sources of income, you would take one of those checks, the probably the larger is what we always suggest, and put into that QIT account. But you would want would not want to do this until, you know, you're ready to do the Medicaid application process. Okay. Uh, that's just letting you know, hey, if mama or daddy one makes $3,300 a month, but Medicaid says they can only make twenty three, but mama or daddy gets two checks, you're still going to be Medicaid eligible. You, there's just an additional step you have to do. You just have mm-hmm. to get them a QIT account. And that's just where... Make sure one of those checks is deposited in there. But Medicaid tells you still, even though it goes in that trust account, it gets some Medicaid eligible. But also that amount is still considered in their monthly liability that they have. Hmm. They take those two checks, add those together and go, okay, you're going to have, you're going to pay the nursing home this dollar amount. Minus $30 because every resident that's on Medicaid gets to keep a personal needs allowance of $30 per month. But if mother or daddy has to has a supplemental insurance such as C plus or anything like that, Medicaid allows them to keep those funds 
to pay those C-plus premiums. They okay. allow to pay for dental insurance premiums. Because anything that adds quality of life for them, mm-hmm. such as the insurance like that, that provides quality, they want to make sure they have that. You know, because that pays for lots of things, especially like dental insurance. It's a quality because if they're having uh, dental issues, you know, they're not going to be able to eat as well. But right. that, So they want to make sure that they're being, you know, that. But as far as they do not allow to have for them to keep enough money for life insurance. Hmm. If they have life insurance policies, families, you know, will have to step in and pay those premiums for them. That's interesting. And then another aspect of income is if there is a person, they have a spouse at home and there's the other spouses in the nursing home, there is what is called as spousal impoverishment Mm -hmm. that they look at their income and say, okay, the spouse is still in the community, but they still need, they still need the person that's in the nursing home, some of their income to help them live because they still have utility payments. They still have car insurance. They still have all those needs. They still have to have groceries and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they say, okay, so the pop, the spousal impoverishment limit is, let's say like this year, is $2,114. So if their income is less than that, they subtract the difference and let that spouse is still at home keep that amount instead of the person in the nursing home having to pay their whole income okay that makes sense because they want to make sure the person in the community is taken care of as well Mm -hmm. so we've talked a lot about the medicaid Mm -hmm. i know there are other payer sources and Mm -hmm. a lot of times people ask me will medicare pay for a nursing home stay medicare if you have traditional medicare it pays for a rehab stay, and the rehab stay is for 20 midnights. Most people call it a 21-day stay, mm-hmm. and that's true. You know, they pay for 20 full midnights, and you go home on the 21st day. Because mm-hmm. so there's not, you know, we do not bill for the day of discharge. That's the only time Medicare pays, and that's whenever they have Part A Medicare benefits, and they've had to have a qualifying three midnight hospital stay mm-hmm. and they come you know from the hospital to us or you know so and there are other options that my, a lot of people in our communities are going to in which which we call HMOs or PPOs most mm-hmm. people are used to them are like Blue Advantage, United Healthcare, Viva those are the most prominent in our area right now they work a little bit different they don't have to have a quality three-night hospital stay they can have one night, hmm. you know, they can, but they have to be pre-approved to come in for a skilled nursing rehab stay. And normally they are approved seven in seven day increments. Okay. It's not an automatic 21 days. It, theirs is normally seven days at a time. Hmm. So those work a little bit differently than just your traditional Medicare's. But we're talking about those rehab stays and not that long-term nursing home placement. Correct. Yeah. Medicare or HMOs do not pay for long-term care. Yeah. And I think that's confusing for people. And what I try to explain is 
aging is not necessarily a medical event, right? Right, right, right. And Medicare is a medical, it's an insurance, it's Mm -hmm. a health insurance. And Mm -hmm. so unfortunately, aging is not an illness. Correct, correct. and that's the best way that I can explain it because that it, that it gets confusing and it does make you think, well, I mean, if somebody can't take care of themselves, then mm-hmm. obviously they should be in the nursing home. But mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that medically that's, that's needed. Exactly. And, you know, just because, you know, like you just said, just because we're aging as well doesn't mean you actually qualify for long-term nursing care. Because mm-hmm. Medicaid has qualifications that we have what we call an LTC nine. You have to meet those qualifications, you know. And sometimes you're right there on the edge. But if you don't meet those qualifications, you know, you don't qualify for long term care. And sometimes it's like you're right there, but you're not mm-hmm. quite there. I would imagine as over the next ten years, especially as you know the aging population grows even more mm-hmm. that those requirements may get tighter yes. just because there's going to be such an influx in in seniors. Exactly. Exactly. So what are some common misconceptions that you would say about the billing side of going into a nursing home? That the nursing home takes your home. Yes. <laughs> that was a, one I was hoping you would hit on because I hear that all the time. And I think that's not what happens. No, that's not what happens. Because I, the you know one of the things whenever we have people coming in from home that's going to come in Medicaid pending, they sit across my desk and look. So how long do I have to get out of my house? <laughs> when are you going to take my house? When do I have to have my house emptied? And I said, well, it's not us. We're not taking your home. I said that is strictly a Medicaid issue, but Medicaid does allow you to keep your home. There's ways to keep your home and keep it and still get Medicaid approved there's just guidelines that you have to do you know most of the time you know and we do have some forms that we fill out to say there's an intent to return home and lots of times that is the case Mm -hmm. you know they need to come in for long-term care till they get stronger because they need more than just you know 21 days they may need additional rehab that they don't have insurance to cover when they go into co-insurance days. Mm-hmm. So we do file an intent to return home. But Medicaid, once you do that, Medicaid puts a lien on your home. That way it means if it is sold, they get the first amount that the home is sold for. They get the money that they have paid into the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Let's say your home sold for 125000 and Medicaid's paid in twenty five thousand, so they're going to get twenty five thousand right off the top before you get your hundred thousand. Right, you know. So that's the biggest misconception: is when's the nursing home going to take take my home? Right. When do I have to be out of my home? No, no, no. Um, next, th- you know, another big thing is what are you going to do? What about my car? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my car. When are you going to take my car? No, we don't take your car. Medicaid doesn't, Medicaid even allows you to have a car, mm. you know, because, you know, your loved one could be able to come pick you up, take you to doctor's appointments. Right. And things like that, or take you to Walmart or take you out to dinner, you know, just things like that. They're allowed to have one car. If they have more than one car, do they consider that as part of your uh, resource 
liability or assets. If it's over $2,000 that you could sell that and get more than $2,000 for it, well, guess what? You're over your limit. Mm -hmm. You're not Medicaid eligible. So it's very important if you do sell things, you have to sell them for the tax assessed value. That's the car, that's your home, not not the actual bank appraised value for items, but tax assessed values. Mm, that's good to know. I mean, because it is a lot, you know, you can sell things and be in, but you always want to make sure that it's the tax assessed value. So if somebody is listening and thinking, wow, I need to make sure that I'm doing this right. Do you help guide people, you know, years before they come into the nursing home or do they reach out to someone else? What What's the best way to get your, your questions answered? I get phone calls all the time. Mm-hmm. Can I come in and sit down with you and let me tell you where I'm at, what I'm thinking about doing? You know, we welcome those phone calls because we know in the future, you know, you may be potentially our resident or your loved one may be our resident. And we want to make sure that, you know, that's all taken care of and in line for you. Yeah, I think that's a, that's great that you guys are willing to help. And mm-hmm. just to know that you can, you can ask questions. I think that's important. We talk a lot right. on, on this program about knowledge is power. It doesn't mean that mom's going into the nursing home tomorrow. Right, exactly. And in, and if we come across an item that I don't know the answer to, I don't feel comfortable answering that, we do have consultants that I'll pick up the phone and call and they'll give me their input and lots of times, and I've had them uh, come up and actually sit down with sponsors across the table multiple times, getting them ready, get on, getting them in line to be Medicaid eligible, mm-hmm. especially those that are, are having to do a large spend down. Right. Well, because it's a process. I mean, we're talking months, too, in eligibility. and Yeah. I mean, and you could talk about, you know, it, the Medicaid application is a process, but you could be, medic- you know, doing a spend-down period for a couple of years right. and then, okay, okay, I'm getting close. When do I need to file? This is what I have going on. You know, you kind of always kind of try to want to stay in the loop of what's going on, what's the new rules, if anything's changed or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, and I would say for caregivers who are – they know that they're the one, right? They're the primary caregiver or the one that will be. You know, right. it's not a bad idea to have these conversations years in advance mm-hmm. just so that you're aware of where the financial situation stands. Not that you're trying to be nosy, but right. that if you're if if five years from now or three years from now, you're gonna be the one doing this process, I mean, you kind of need to know what's ahead of you. Exactly. And I have people that come in and sit and I start asking questions and they just kind of look at me like, I don't want to tell you that. I don't want to go. I don't want to tell you that. And I'm in my honest response is I'm not being nosy. Right. And I said, this is on the application. And I, cause I always get an application out and lay it out in front and go line by line. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not being nosy. I said, this is the information that we have to provide. And we have to provide, you know, this information or you don't get approved. Because if they ask for it, you've got to put it out there for them. And you have to be honest with me. Right. You have to be honest with Medicaid. Because if you're not, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the facility that's taking care of them. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could look at a penalty and, you know, did not get not get paid not get approved. And then, then you have a large bill and the facility's sitting there holding a large 
balance right. because it's not being able to be paid. So it's always better to be honest and upfront and said, hey, mom and dad transferred their property to me two years ago. Don't don't let us go all the way into this and go, Medicaid just found that mom and dad transferred property. Right. And think that they're not going to find it. <laughs> right. Let's, let's just go ahead and tell us upfront and we can tell you what to do to get it back. Yeah. To where it can be. So it's always better to be upfront and honest because, you know, it's not that we're being nosy. It's not that we want to know this information. It's needed information for the, for Medicaid. Yeah. I think that's because you, because sometimes you get those looks like, mm, don't want to tell you that. Right. Mm. <laughs> but it's better to go ahead and tell that so we can help rectify a problem that you may encounter. Well, and I always, I, I have a lot of times when clients say, well, I, I'm just, I'm never going to go to the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And let's never say never. We never exactly. know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. it's just always good. Let's plan for what could happen mm-hmm. just in case. Um, exactly. And, you know, there's another thing, and I'm sure that you've, you know, addressed this with some of your clients as well. There's people that are eligible for VA benefits mm-hmm. that not even aware of that. Yes. And Medicaid wants them to have those VA benefits if they need those. Yes. Even if they're home and even through like your services, I'm sure that helps with aid and attendance. If they qualify for that, that helps pay for that. It does. It's always that, the first question I ask, were mm-hmm. you or your spouse a mm-hmm. veteran in a wartime period? Exactly. Then we send them straight over to the VA office mm-hmm. <laughs> and get that rolling because that's important. It is. You know, because, because it helps, you know, because, you know, if they get aid in attendance, even here, they, if they're an individual that qualifies for that and gets that, they get uh, not only the $30 from their Social Security check, they get an additional $90 that they can have for any personal needs that they want. Mm-hmm. A month, so that's in the essence that they, they get one hundred and twenty dollars a month that they can go to Walmart or go out to dinner with their family or whatever. Right. Well, so Tammy, as we wrap up, is there anything else that um, that we missed, or any specific tools and resources that you want to talk about? The only other thing, there's a some people are not if their income is low. People are some people are not aware of community Medicaid mm. uh, and it's strictly income based. We have some that come in for short term rehab and we just kind of talk to them a little bit and realize, hey, their income's low and they don't have community Medicaid. We try to go ahead and get them signed up for them mm-hmm. for that because that's a big benefit for them. Is that the Medicaid waiver program? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, lots of them are not aware of that that's out there for them. Yeah. And um, it's the area on aging that you contact to start that process. Is that right? Yeah. Well, if they're in our facility, I can start the process. Oh, good. For okay. Them. Mm-hmm. That's great mm-hmm. to know. Good. Yeah. So if we can get them signed up for that, that's, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. There's lots of nice resources that come with that. So mm-hmm. something good to think about. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for taking yeah. time out of your day to talk to us about Medicaid and billing. And I mean, my mind is spinning. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And there's always, always uh, seminars that we go to and all, you know, to listen and learn new things. So we're, I'm going next week to a big one and to learn a little bit more of what's out there. 
That's you know, great. For Medicaid. Well, if somebody wanted to get into contact with you to ask some questions, what's the best way for them to get you? They can just call our facility at 256-329-9061. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tammy. I really right. appreciate it. So I hope this episode was helpful to you. You know, I think about my own parents and even conversations that we've had in And even when they've made the comment, you know, they don't want to go into the nursing home, as much as I can appreciate that, I think it's always good to have good information. You know, we've had the conversation before in the instance that you did need 24-hour care, and I can't be the one to provide that 24-hour care. Financially, we need to make sure that we're set up for that. And so I think the point of this episode, more than anything, is just to have the knowledge and the understanding and then to plan. At the core of all of our conversations in Jerry Talk is the element of planning. And so hopefully this episode gave you enough information to have those conversations and to just start thinking about that process, regardless of what the future holds. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If I could ask you to please share it with another caregiver that you think could use the support and encouragement. Take a second and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It really does help for other people to find us. And join us again next week on Jerry Talk. Until then, I hope you have a great week.